Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. All these girls gonna be in the league? Hello, gorgeous. Female fight club. All men must die, but we are not men. Damn it, Kristen! What do you think happened to Karen? Lauren. Girl, her name is Kimberly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to lucky episode number 13 of the Citizen Dame podcast, a podcast that slowly transformed into us grousing about men and movies. I feel like that's an unintentional, like, motto that we need to instill. Um, as always, <laughs> we have an amazing roundtable of ladies here, starting with me, Kristen Lopez, as well as Karen Peterson. Hi. Lauren Humphreys-Brooks. Hello. And Kimberly Pierce. Hello. So we have a, a pretty awesome show. We're not going to belabor the point anymore. Let's get out the worst of the worst with our segment this week in Garbage Men. So we're not going to talk a lot about this stuff because I think we all agree. We're coming to the end of the year. We're just sick of men being douchebags. So hopefully we'll fix all that in 2018. But some uh, quick things first. Uh, so the simplest thing is that you may recall a couple uh, week or so ago that uh, Danny Masterson had not been fired from the Netflix series The Ranch, and that was because a Netflix executive told one of the victims at a child soccer game that it was because the Netflix employees did not believe the accusations. Well, that person has been fired. Yay! Normally, I'm against people losing their job, especially in the entertainment field, because we're all, you know, writers, and it's kind of been hell (laughs) if you you are a film writer today. But if you're a Netflix exec and you make asinine statements, kind of okay with it. Exactly. Yeah, this needed to happen, and I'm glad about it, so. Exactly. Speaking of stupid people putting their foot in their mouths, Matt Damon. Okay. (laughs) So, interest of full disclosure... I loved Matt Damon when I was, like, up until, like, maybe, like, a year ago. And then I realized that maybe he was an asshole. And now I've just, like, just, it's over. It's over and done with, and I can't anymore. But Matt Damon uh, made a comment over the weekend saying that, quote, there's a difference between patting someone on the butt and rape or child molestation. Both of those behaviors need to be confronted and eradicated without question, but they shouldn't be conflated. He calls it a spectrum of behavior. So mostly I think this is just saying, like, please stop asking him about Casey Affleck. Like, dude, we get it. You guys are buddies. You don't feel that he should be in trouble. This is a situation where it's like, um, he, he's not entirely wrong. Right. Because, no, they're, they're, it's not the same thing when you're talking about grabbing someone's butt or raping a kid. No, those are definitely not the same thing. However, in this time and with the tensions running high the way they are, he should have just shut the fuck up. Like, yes. what was he thinking? Why well, did he my, do this? My argument was is that, yes, those are two very different things, particularly one being a criminal action, like a right. felony crime. And one being, you know, I don't know what sexual harassment is in, you know, legal terms, in terms of, like, whether it's a misdemeanor or not. Yes, okay? It's not a criminal... It's not a criminal offense. It's not a criminal offense, Yes. Those are what I'm... But when you are a private person in the workplace, and you are doing either of those things, then you should be fired, okay? And you you should definitely be... There there needs to be consequences. And the... the, Yeah. 
the the consequences should be the same yes they won't be in the grand scheme of a court of law but in a business sense yeah they should be treated the same way you should be fucking fired exactly and no i mean you're not going to go to prison and you shouldn't go to prison for you know something like making an asinine statement right but at the same time that doesn't make those behaviors okay and what he's saying suggests that he thinks it's not a big deal and it's still a big deal so yeah yeah i I think that mini driver's response to to his like she she was recently interviewed by the guardian and she essentially said like he matt damon and men like matt damon do not get to make those judgments They do not get to say, this is a big deal, this isn't a big deal. You don't get to grade women's experience, and it is primarily women that we're talking about, on a scale and say, okay, this is not as bad, and this is worse. And, and that's, that's one of the horrible... And, da- and Damon has a history of doing this. He has a history of explaining to, to women, to minorities, their experience of oppression, their experience of harassment, their experience of uh, simply being sidelined. And he's very smug about it, and he seems to think that he has some kind of right to make these judgments without really listening to anyone who has actually experienced it. Well, and I just, I love the fact that it's Minnie Driver who was tweeting. She (laughs) sent out a tweet that was like, good God, seriously? Because if, if people remember, he treated her like shit when they were dating. He dumped her on Oprah. Okay, I, I so I, I feel like about that. yeah, didn't I, didn't I think I did too. Yeah, he was like, we broke up, and she was like, wait, what the hell? <laughs> um, yeah, so I I feel a little vindicated, and again, I don't understand why we're making all these concessions for what seemed to be just Casey Affleck. Like, so we had last week that Army Hammer had to make that mea culpa about about Casey Affleck, and then. Really, everybody agrees the only reason Matt Damon is saying these things is because he knows Casey Affleck. Like, what the hell does this man have on people that everybody <laughs> has you. to be like, I'm so sorry? See, I don't think it comes down to just Casey Affleck. I think it comes down to other people he knows about that either haven't been outed yet or Possibly. his side of it hasn't been outed yet. But the other thing that yeah. that he needs to understand and that everyone needs to understand about sexual harassment, different from sexual assault... But harassment is based on not the intention of the person doing it. It's based on the feeling of the person who's receiving the action. Right. And so, yeah, grabbing someone's ass, it may not be a big deal to me if, you know, someone's doing it. But Lauren might feel really uncomfortable. And in that case, no, they're not harassing me because I'm cool with it. But Lauren is feeling harassed and it's and that's where it's different. And it's not there's not a one size fits all when it comes to harassment. No, and, and people, I think, forget the power differential, you know, right. too. Um, yeah. I think there was there was a really great story um, about Matt Lauer that came out from one of the women that he um, dated, and she said that while she didn't feel that she had been harassed at all and that the relationship was consensual, she did question how much of that relationship was founded on the fact that he was Matt Lauer, he was her superior, mm-hmm. and and all of that. And I think that that's... Those are questions that don't have a right answer, but when you're in the workplace, you need to think about those questions, especially if you're a male in a position of power. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And what, one of the things that um, that Minnie Driver said was that men can, uh, this is just quoting straight from the Guardian article, men can rally and they can support, but I don't think it's appropriate per se for men to have an opinion about how women should be metabolizing abuse. And 
that's that's very straightforward. It's just like you get to shut up now. Right. Mm-hmm. You get to not have an opinion on this because it is not a part of your experience. And if a woman says to you, and and yeah, it, I I agree with Karen. If a woman says to you, I'm not comfortable with that, and you're like, well, but my friend was comfortable with it. It's like, no, but that doesn't matter. I'm not comfortable with it. Exactly. So it really, and the the other thing is that sexual harassment is almost a a first step. And there is a sense that, so, so you know, it's not a big deal. You grab a woman's ass and she says, don't do that. It's like, oh, okay, it's, it's not a big deal. But if she doesn't say don't do that, if she's uncomfortable, but she doesn't respond, then a guy can feel more comfortable pushing it a little bit further and a little bit further and a little bit further until you are getting to things like rape. You are getting to things like forced, uh, forced masturbation, things like that. And so it's to, to begin grading things on a spectrum and saying like, well, this one, all this one guy did was grab a woman's breast. Uh, it's like, okay, that's still on the same scale, guys. We're still talking about the same thing and you don't get to define it. Yeah, um, so that, that brings us over to what I guess he'd be the granddaddy of these accusations, Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> um, so Salma Hayek penned a blisteringly human op-ed for the New York Times talking about how she had uh, issues with Harvey Weinstein when she was working um, for him, that she felt that she didn't want to share them because they weren't nearly as, as bad as other women's experiences, and that as a woman of color, she didn't really think that anybody would care, uh, which is so heart-wrenching. Um, but she details this litany of sexual harassment and uh, verbal and physical abuse from, from Harvey Weinstein while they were working together on Frida, that he threatened to take away uh, the film and the role from her several times, threatened to dump the film in one theater unless she uh, agreed to certain things, including getting a, a rewrite of the script for no money, including filming a same-sex sex scene with a woman um, with nudity that did not need to be in the film. All this stuff, it's, it's, a, it's such a courageous op-ed that you should read, um, because a lot of it is from the standpoint of a woman who I mean, Salma Hayek's so ubiquitous. I mean, she's been in film, she's been nominated for an Oscar, and yet much of what she says is still, you know, I'm a, a Mexican actress and no one really cares. Um, and I think that that's, that's so poignant. And of course, because she's a woman of color, Harvey Weinstein felt the need to refute that he didn't remember any of this happening and that, yes, Jennifer Lopez wanted the role and she was a bigger star, that's a direct quote, that he, you know, rallied for Salma Hayek to have it and that, you know, Edward Norton was her boyfriend at the time. Why that's relevant is irrelevant. Um, and that, you know, he just kind of agreed to help out the film, not because Harvey Weinstein told her she needed all this stuff done, but because, you know, they were totally banging. So, yeah, continuing the trend of uh, We Hate Him. Uh, and then it came out the other day, Peter Jackson actually uh, admitted that he had been told by Harvey Weinstein that Ashley Judd and Mira Sorvino, who... Uh, Jackson was considering for roles in the Lord of the Rings films, Harvey Weinstein pretty much told him that they were the biggest pains of the ass, they were not worth the trouble to cast, and Peter Jackson listened and did not cast them. Um, Terry Zwigoff has also come forward and said that he did not cast Mira Sorvino in Bad Santa because he had heard similar stories. So this is just reiterating what we all knew, which was that both actresses had been blackballed 
uh, after turning Harvey Weinstein down. So, Well, one of the things I think is really important to note in what Jackson was saying, and I pointed this out with Lauren on Twitter, he's not just saying, like, these girls are a pain in the ass. He said they should be avoided at all costs. Yes. Like, I mean, they're telling... These guys, Harvey and Bob Weinstein, were telling really horrible things about these women. And, and I think what is like, important to, to, to bring up, too, is that... You know, it, it goes back to my argument, which, and many people's arguments, I'm not the one who, the first person to bring this up, but that the concept of the term difficult is a pejorative, mm-hmm. strictly when you're a woman. These mm-hmm. guys just heard that these women were difficult and decided not to work with them. But a, a difficult male is just like an auteur, you know? He's just, he's just ambitious. Jared yeah. Leto can send jizz-filled condoms to his castmates and he's an artist. <laughs> he's an artiste. Yes. <sighs> He needs to go away. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, it, exactly. I mean, I, I think that it's a good thing that Jackson came out and actually said this mm-hmm. and said it publicly. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, it obviously broke Mira Sorvino's heart and it obviously hurt Ashley Judd. One of the things that Ashley Judd said was that she had actually been, she had met with Jackson, that they had discussed what part she could play. And then suddenly she just never got a call back. And that, that troubles me more because it says to me that Jackson had actually met her, had talked with her, had some knowledge of her. It wasn't just like Harvey Weinstein said, oh, by the way, she's, she's terrible to work with. He had been working with her. He had been considering offering her things. And then suddenly, because Harvey Weinstein says, don't do it, he's like, oh, okay, I just won't do it. And I don't think it's deliberate necessarily on Jackson's part, but it, it does go back to that women are when they're difficult they're bitches they're there's something wrong with them we don't work with them men meh, well whatever yeah the thing is though peter jackson didn't hasn't worked with any of these notoriously difficult men either i think that he's someone who really banks on having a cast that all gets along that mm-hmm. everyone you know is friendly with one another i don't think that this story is about peter jackson i think it's about harvey weinstein's attempts to completely destroy Mira Sorvino and Ashley Judd because of what they could do. And I think that that it's it's good that Peter Jackson admitted that, hey, yeah, I fell into this too. But I don't, in this situation, I really don't think Peter Jackson is the story. I, well, no, I think that Peter Jackson has some culpability in all of this because he, he did make a choice. And we have to remember, he also fired the first actor that he had cast to play Aragorn. He he and re and hired Vigo Mortensen, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously he's able to shake things up. I completely agree that you know you know he hasn't worked with people like Edward Norton or any of these notoriously difficult actors, but at the same time he made a very deliberate choice to listen to hearsay essentially from the Weinstein. But we don't know exactly what they told him though. I mean they may have had really really specific made up stories. Like I mean yeah, who knows that, how bad it really was. Jackson is still a part of this system. I mean, again, I'm not saying that this is all Peter Jackson's fault and it doesn't have anything to do with Harvey Weinstein. Weinstein is the, is the issue. But it is a part of this culture of sexism in Hollywood and a culture of feeling that female artists, regardless, regardless of whether they are truly difficult or not, if they are difficult, they are blacklisted. Yes. Well, yes. This, this shows, I mean, Peter Jackson came out and said it, but this shows the power behind this institutionalized culture. Peter Peter yeah. Jackson comes out and admits to doing it. He did, but how many other directors 
have probably listened and aren't saying anything. I remember on this Mm -hmm. podcast when this Weinstein first broke, we met, we talked about Mira Sorvino and how she hadn't worked. I remember her winning her Oscar and the, you know, the fact that she just up and disappeared and that we're finding out now this was a complete result of this blackballing. And yeah, Peter Jackson is at least having the courage to put his hand up and say, yes, I fell into this, but he wasn't the only one. And I think that's the important point. The fact that this has lasted for, God, it must be 20 years now. I mean, it must be 20 years since Mira Sorvino won. And she was definitely upwardly mobile and going places and then just completely faded. And we now know why. Well, yeah, it goes back to, we, you know, when we talked when this first started out, how many, if you've ever asked why that actress did not become a bigger star, you know, now, now you know. We, we always knew that it was probably something, you know, related to perceived personality, but I think we're, I think we're going to see a lot more directors come out. And the question that I want to know is, does this open Weinstein up to more, more lawsuits? Because defamation of character you know loss of work i hope so i mean exactly. i i see mm-hmm. some civil suits going up on him because now you have actual statements from directors saying yeah i totally didn't do it right so exactly. that'll be an interesting part of this too but let's let's leave the garbage men behind for the holidays um and talk about the big thing that happened this week golden globe and sag nominations now i have the globes noms if anybody wants to get the sag noms up so we're just going to go through really briefly some of these Golden Globes uh, nominations and then we'll talk about about them. Best motion picture drama is Call Me By Your Name, Dunkirk, The Post, The Shape of Water, and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Best motion picture musical or comedy is The Disaster Artist, Get Out, Greatest Showman, I, Tanya, and Lady Bird. Best animated motion picture is The Boss Baby. Just going to let that sit there for a second. <laughs> The Breadwinner, Coco, Ferdinand, and Loving Vincent. This was not a great year for animated films. It makes me sad that The Breadwinner and The Boss Baby are in the same I know. Like, that is two things that should not be together. Foreign language film, Fantastic Woman, First They Killed My Father, In the Fade, Loveless, and The Square. Was it you who saw Loveless, Karen, and said you didn't like it? That is correct. So there you go. (laughs) Best performance by an actress in a drama Motion picture, Jessica Chastain for Molly's Game, Sally Hawkins for The Shape of Water, Frances McDormand for Three Billboards, Meryl Streep for The Post, and Michelle Williams for All the Money in the World. Best performance by an actor in a motion picture drama, Timothy Chalamet for Call Me By Your Name, Daniel Day-Lewis for Phantom Thread, Tom Hanks for The Post, Gary Oldman for Darkest Hour, and Denzel Washington for Roman J. Israel Esquire. Uh, Actress in a musical or comedy motion picture, Judi Dench, Victoria and Abdul, Helen Mirren for The Leisure Seeker, Margot Robbie for I, Tanya, Saoirse Ronan for Lady Bird, and Emma Stone for Battle of the Sexes. Actor in a motion picture, musical, or comedy is Steve Carell, Battle of the Sexes, Ansel Elgort for Baby Driver, that was a surprise, Uh, James Franco (laughs) for The Disaster Artist, Hugh Jackman for The Greatest Showman, and Daniel Kalula for Get Out. Um, supporting actress is Mary J. Blige for Mudbound, Hong Chow for Downsizing, Allison Janney for I, Tanya, Laurie Metcalf for Lady Bird, and Octavia Spencer for Shape of Water. Supporting actor in a motion picture, Willem Dafoe for The Florida Project, My Future Husband, Army Hammer for Call Me By Your Name, Richard Jenkins for The Shape of Water, Christopher Plummer for All the Money in the World, that's gotta suck if your name is Kevin Spacey, Sam Rockwell for Three Billboards, and Best Director 
is Guillermo del Toro for The Shape of Water. Martin McDonough. I would comment on Christopher Plummer, but I'm under embargo. Until Ooh, Tuesday, so. I'm I'm actually <laughs> skipping my screening to go see Jumanji tomorrow. <laughs> that that makes uh, two of us, Kristen. Yeah, I would. I can't say anything, but I don't know that I would make that choice. I know personally. it was not my decision. It was the person who's driving me's decision. They wanted oh, to go bummer. see. Jumanji. Um, so yeah, if it sucks, I'm gonna slap them. Um, uh, Martin McDonough for Three Billboards, Christopher Nolan for Dunkirk, Ridley Scott for All the Money in the World, and Steven Spielberg for The Post. So let's break those down really quick. Can we, should we do the SAG nominations too, because there are so much overlap and then sure, we can talk about all of it sure, at the same yes, time? Sure, yes, yes. Okay, so for SAG, we have Outstanding Performance by a Female Actor in a Leading Role, Judy Dench, Victoria and Abdul. Sally Hawkins, The Shape of Water, Frances McDormand, Three Billboards Outside Edmond, Missouri, Margot Robbie, I, Tanya, Sierra Ronan, Lady Bird. Uh, outstanding performance by a male actor in a leading role, Timothy Chalamet, Call Me By Your Name, James Franco, The Disaster Artist, Daniel Kaluuya, Get Out, Gary Oldman, Darkest Hour, Denzel Washington, Roman J. Israel Esquire. Uh, outstanding performance by a female actor in a supporting role, Mary J. Blige, Mudbound, Hong Chow, Do- Downsizing, Holly Hunter, The Big Sick, Allison Janney, I, Tanya, Laurie Metcalf, Lady Bird. Uh, outstanding performance by a male actor in a supporting role. Steve Carell, Battle of the Sexes. Willem Dafoe, The Florida Project. Woody Harrelson, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Richard Jenkins, The Shape of Water. Sam Rockwell, The Three, Bil- Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. And let's see. Performance by a cast in a motion picture. The Big Sick, Get Out, Lady Bird, Mudbound, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. And outstanding action performance by a stunt ensemble, Baby Driver, Dunkirk, Logan, War for the Planet of the Apes, and Wonder Woman. So there you go. So, okay, I I will throw out categories that I noticed at the Golden Globes that we didn't talk about, but I'm kind of bummed that Call Me By Your Name didn't get a screenplay nom. For the globes i'm shocked super shocked mm. um i mean i have not seen the post but you know i and i'm looking at the screenplays here and what could have been taken out we'll talk about three billboards but i mean that that or molly's gay but sorkin they love sorkin so i mean i guess i i don't agree that that script is the best but this is a lot of what i expected um i mean globes always tend to go for some of the showier because they have musical and comedies uh, split from drama, so like Ansel Elgort was a surprise, but they that one I that don't felt get. like a placeholder. Exactly, yeah. what well, felt like we didn't have anybody else, and we want to get like the young folks in. Hugh Jackman got nominated for the wrong movie. Just throwing that out there, he should have gotten for Logan, but you know. But was there room in the? No, drama there's not. For there's him? not. So there you go. I would also say that they nominated the wrong song from The Greatest Showman, but that's just me because. They, they nominated the wrong song, okay? But on, and, and Ridley Scott, so all the money, we have to talk all the money, money in the world really briefly. The only people that saw it were the Globes uh, uh, nominee, uh, nomination board, the, the HFPA. So no one else has seen this movie. And it, yeah. nom- I mean, the, we know that the Globes tend to have really short memories, but how is that not rigging the game? Yeah. Well, the problem is that it it wasn't available. They yeah, the HFPA waits until you know pretty much the end to do their nomination. SAG, their nomination period opened in early November, so even by the time the film was finished and ready for 
SAG nominating committee members, which there's like 2,000 of them, spread across the country, even by the time it was available for them, a lot of them had already voted. So, I don't, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird situation. I mean, Ridley Scott is just not going to fit for me in that director's race. I, I mean, I'm a fan of Ridley Scott, but for every good movie, he has at least three sucky ones. And, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, I just feel like there's got to have been a, a director. I mean, no Gerwig, no, no Jordan Peele. That is what really bothers me. Yeah. Ridley Scott honestly probably got Gerwig's spot. It's possible. Yeah. And, I mean, without going into anything in, in, you know, details, I will say that what he managed to pull off, people will take note of it. It's possible that he could translate this into an Oscar nomination. He won't win if he gets in, but it, I, I see a path where that could happen. I think a lot of that attention is not just on the movie, though. It's on the fact that he had the balls. <laughs> to fire Kevin Spacey after the movie was done and recast the role and did it all so quickly that that movie can still come out three days after its original release date. So I think that if he does get in, I think with the Globes, you know, I think it's it's not just for his actual effort with the film. I think it's for the entire story of what happened around it. Well, and, so. and considering that I'm the one-woman PR firm for Call Me By Your Name... Not a lot of SAG love. What the hell? I don't understand that either. Why? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know what is going on with this movie. It's it's really weird. I mean, I wasn't expecting Army Hammer to get the nomination. I mean, I, we should just be thankful that we have the performance. But really, really, I, I I joked on Twitter about how it was the Casey Affleck apology that kind of sunk him, and people were not happy about that. I was like, I was joking, but okay. Um, I think it was just a lot of Casey Affleck, like, fan people that were asking. But, yeah, I'm very surprised. Yeah, well, the thing about Call Me By Your Name, I mean, you and I obviously had different opinions about it. I think it's a fine movie. I personally don't think it's a great movie. I just thought that it was going to get a lot more awards attention than it seems to be getting. And I don't know how this is going to translate to Oscars. I get the sneaking suspicion that it's going to be like one of those movies, you know, and I can't think of one right now, but I'm sure I will afterwards, where, you know, it's just people assume that it should be a player and it's not come Oscar time. And then 20 years later, you're like, how the hell did this movie not get more attention when it came out? Especially when we're talking about movies like Get Out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to survive. Call Me By Your Name is definitely going to be around long after a number of these films uh, will have vanished. I mean, I I still haven't seen the post, but I hate to say it, I have a feeling that it's just going to go down as one of those, oh, it's yet another Steven Spielberg big budget blockbuster. It's not going to be remembered. Call Me By Your Name is going to be remembered. I'm totally okay with that. So moving on, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith... I do. Can I can yes. I say something though about the lack of female directors being nominated? Oh, that yes, I'm please so do. Off about that. Like, I, I mean, I I voiced this on Twitter in a very loud manner, but I'm I'm seriously shocked because this is this has been a banner year for female directors in all kinds of forms. I mean, I could I can think of I can think of enough female directors who've made brilliant films this year to fill that category completely and not one not one Ridley fucking Scott yes. mm-hmm. a movie that ha- does not have a single critical review 
right? And yeah, I know that it hasn't come out yet. I know that it's been screened for some people and that if there's an embargo on it, all of that. But still, not a single critical review, and yet it gets a nomination. Right. We can't even get... But, but Lauren, Lauren, it's quality, not quantity. And we should just be happy I, that I, we have these movies <laughs> to begin with. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah we should feel great. That's right, yeah. We well, you know, and I so had hopeful. a conversation with an, a person I'm not going to name uh, earlier this week who was just like, well, you know, the Golden Globes have, have a much better record than the Academy for nominating female directors. And I was just like, whoa, no, 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 no. They have nominated one more female director than the Academy has, bringing in a total of five. So I can count on one hand and not have fingers left over. whoop de frickin do We're talking 89 years of the Academy Awards going into the 90th year, 75 years of the Golden Globes, and we have five women that have ever been nominated. You can't tell me that there are only five women who've ever been worthy of being nominated for Best Director. There are more than, like Lauren pointed out, there are more than five this year alone that are worthy. Well, and I'm sorry, but every person, every man who has been nominated has always produced, I mean, every movie that, that they've been nominated for is flawless. I mean, <laughs> how many movies have we, we talked about over the years, you know, where we're just like, Reviews aren't that good, you know, it's Oscar bait, and it gets nominated because it knows how to rig the formula. You know, you can't say that every person who has been nominated for Golden Globe or an Oscar is deserving. You know, you can't. So why not just throw in a woman and be like, you know what, you can disagree and say she's not. I didn't fucking think Eddie Redmayne should own and have an Academy Award, okay? But, you know, that happened. Still a little bitter about that. (laughs) (laughs) It's exhausting, and the rhetoric that we're supposed to be grateful that these films are getting made anyways. And I'm just like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that Lady Bird got made. I'm glad that Mudbound got made. I, I'm glad that Wonder Woman got made. I'm really happy about that. But I am pissed off that these women are not being recognized. I want them to be recognized because as they are recognized, it begins to put them more in, in the public eye. It says women can handle these kinds of jobs. We don't have to give it to a mediocre white man. And they can actually produce films that not only get great critical praise, but that get awards. They've, and they fucking deserve it. I am just so sick of it, and I'm sick of the, the rhetoric that has surrounded it, and the number of male critics, and I will not name names, but if you follow my Twitter, you will know who I'm talking about, mm-hmm. who just want to, to basically tell women, tell female critics, tell female artists, you should be grateful for what you get. Fuck you. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Let's Sorry. segue really quick. Uh, and we'll come back to the HFPA because I think I think Lauren gave us a really good segue. So yes. Lady Bird has been had been a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes the longest time in I think Rotten Tomatoes history at a hundred percent fresh. Be, beat Toy Story three, and last week was knocked down to ninety nine percent by an asshole who I refuse to name and give him any of the credit yeah to him the satisfaction he's so yes close. this person um who also was the person that broke the record for toy story 3 because this dude has like either an incredibly tiny penis or just doesn't know joy knocked it down to a 99 gave it a b minus but still so if you don't know how rotten tomatoes works you put in um a score yes but you also mark fresh or rotten based on that score so you can he actually updated his review score to c plus by the way oh because originally he gave it a b minus and still marked it rotten so yeah i yeah. checked this morning he's, he's he's off yeah he's so his argument was that in the grand history of film it wasn't that good 
Now, I'm sorry. <laughs> if you're basing every single review you write on the grand history of film, then nothing's fucking good, okay? Because... Well, this guy also yeah. gave Fs to Dunkirk, yes. Logan, and, and Wonder, Wonder Woman. Woman. Yes. So, fuck him. I will say, I, I will say I've... Been, Sanctimonious asshole. I, I will like tell you, term. I have interacted with this person. This person and I are part of um, an organization together, and this person is the <sighs> biggest entitled douchebag I have ever met in my life, and I've met a lot of entitled douchebags, so... Well, the thing that really pissed me off about his knocking down Lady Bird is, in his own personal statement about it, I think it was on Twitter, he flat out said the reason he did it was that he liked the movie, but didn't think it deserved a perfect score. That's yeah. not what Rotten Tomatoes yeah. is about! Yeah, that's not what Rotten Tomatoes is about, that's not your fucking job, okay? Your job... I mean, I think all of us would agree, or at least I know when I'm writing a review, it is the film that is in front of me in isolation. Mm -hmm. You know, yes, you exactly. can reference yeah. other movies that it's referencing, but I would never compare Lady Bird, you know, if Lady Bird, Star Wars has a reference to wings in it. I'm not comparing Star Wars to wings, okay? Those are two totally different things. <sighs> People. Exactly. This is why, yeah, hire yeah. more female critics, please, because... Right, assholes yeah, like is, this. It's 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 bad criticism. Yes. That's the thing. He's he's gaming the system. He's using the Rotten Tomatoes, and Rotten Tomatoes has all kinds yes. of problems. Yeah, yeah. Saying that a film has a hundred percent or ninety nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes is kind. I mean, it's ridiculous. But but he is playing with the system. He's using the system, and he's using the system to get attention for himself. Yep. Uh, and that is all to be, he's to doing. Be like, oh well, I was. I, I was just trying to, you know, really consider this film in the grand scheme. Just like, no, you weren't. I'm, I'm pretty positive you don't know that much about film, dude. No, if he really wanted to do it based on this film, he wouldn't have held his review until there were 205 positive reviews. Yeah, it, it's just, it's very blatant. And I, you know, I saw a number of people talking about how it's, you know, we, sh we, we shouldn't put so much weight on this thing having 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I really don't think that that's the issue. It's the fact that he chose to evaluate it not based upon his actual opinion of the film but based upon other people's opinions and tearing those opinions down and saying like well it's not really that good and i'm going to prove to you how it's not really that good by ripping it apart right and it's just it's bad criticism it's bad behavior and it's it's just a douchebag move it is and, and one of the problems is that it speaks to the fact that a lot of people misunderstand and he banked on this but they misunderstand what rotten tomatoes is about and what that score means it doesn't mean that 100 percent of the critics thinks it's an a plus amazing movie the best film they've ever seen it means that all of the critics that have reviewed it except for this asshole think it's a good movie they, you know, they're not saying it's the best. They're not saying it's it's even great. They're just saying it's good. They're doing their and, job and, and judging yeah. it in isolation as on its own merits. Right. And people see that 100% or that 99% and they think, oh my gosh, I'm going into the best movie experience ever. And so I think the problem is people not understanding what that score actually translates to. Yeah. So fuck that guy. Um, and he took advantage of it, so yeah, fuck him. So moving back, moving back over to HFPA, because I guess we'll segue from uh, misogyny to racism. Jada Pinkett Smith went on Twitter to accuse the Hollywood Foreign Press Association of racism because she claims that they got copies of Girls Trip but never screened it, and that's why Tiffany Haddish did not get nominated. And that's, I mean, she. So for me, I think she brings up one valid criticism. 
and one that I don't necessarily know if I agree with. Yes, I, I think the Hollywood Foreign Press, I mean, the Hollywood Foreign Press is easily bought. We, we've all seen this. They got Cher tickets and then nominated Cher for, for burlesque. I mean, you can, uh, you can pay enough HFPA members in, in swag to get them to nominate you. It's not hard. Well, something people need to understand about HFPA, and people put so much weight into the Golden Globes and, oh, these mean so much. 94 people vote for the Golden right. Globe Awards. That's it. So, yeah, this is like... For such a huge award show, it is probably the most meaningless. Yeah, so, I, I mean, they might have gotten, uh, they did get screeners, and I think it's uh, it's unfortunate that they didn't watch it. But I don't know if that necessarily means that they didn't nominate her. I mean, I don't I don't know if I necessarily agree with her assertions, but maybe I should, I don't know. The thing is that we can't know why they mm-hmm. didn't vote for it. Right. Maybe they didn't watch the movie. Maybe they watched it and didn't like it. May, I mean... It's a, it's a very specific type of movie, and yes, they have nominated people and films that are hardcore raunchy movies before, but, you know, who knows? Maybe they just didn't like it, or maybe it was number, maybe she was number six. Maybe she just missed the vote. Who knows? I mean, honestly, I don't put a lot of weight in the body that gave Pia Zadora an, an award. <laughs> I mean, we all, there you go. We all forget See? that, don't we? <laughs> Try to. <laughs> um, so moving on to some other things, some some brief casting and stuff. I do want to throw out an article. Um, we don't have to talk about it for very long or at all. But Pace Magazine did an article that I thought was really interesting, especially in award season, talking about how um, the, the use of limited rollouts for films end up hurting film fans who live in um, areas that are not New York or L.A. And so they were looking at how, you know, a lot of these movies don't make a lot of money when they finally do wide release um, because so many people have just kind of moved on. And I think that that's a really interesting thing because I live in Sacramento, which is, you know, this the capital of California, but we get things only once they go wide. Um, so I won't get Call Me By Your Name in my area until January 19th. Uh, mind you, if I lived in like Portland, I could go see it, which makes very little sense. And so I've always been a fan of the concept that limited rollouts aren't really necessary, especially in this day and age, when a lot of these films end up leaking online before they go wide. I, I don't know why we're still doing, other than the whole concept of it's prestigious, why we're still doing limited rollouts on films. Because people want to see these movies. People are clamoring for Call Me By Your Name. I mean, I am willing to drive two fucking hours to San Francisco to go see this movie this weekend because it's not available. People want them. You would make a shit ton of money if you released it this weekend. Thoughts? Well, it's hard for me to comment on it because I live in an area That's where right. I do Karen, have Karen gets everything, so. so she can't talk. <laughs> I I'll say something because I, I live, I mean, I live in New York City, but I am from a, a small community in upstate New York, and I'm constantly right. telling right. my parents mm-hmm. about all of these great movies that I'm seeing that will either never come to the area or will come to the area and be like an hour and a half drive. So, you know, so I saw Shape of the Water yesterday, and, uh, or sorry, The Shape of Water. And I was like, oh, this is a great movie. My parents will love it. I was telling them about it. And then I looked it up and my dad was like, oh, when is it, when is it getting a wide release? And it still doesn't have a wide release date. And I'm like, okay, so it literally, like, it's not going, the closest place that they can go to might be Albany, maybe. And that's two hours away from them. So it, it's completely destroying also the artistic communities and film communities and film viewership in more isolated areas. And, you know, uh, it's it's for the place I'm from is four hours north of New York City, 
so it's not exactly this completely isolated area in the you know the fucking Arctic Circle, but because these films are getting such such small releases, all that are being received by the multiplexes in those areas are you know Star Wars, are Marvel, are the big budget big tent films. And you're not getting to experience these smaller sometimes stronger, more interesting, more nuanced works that people will appreciate. So I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of classism going on. And, right. And, uh, and it's, it's damaging, it's damaging the way that I was just looking at the box office numbers, this, the expectations this weekend to see how Star Wars was going to do. Justice League was still like number four. And that was what, a month, month and a half ago and it, or a month ago. And it was a terrible movie, but because it's awards season, everything is, and they also do it because they're back, they backload everything, especially at this time of the year. It is so heavily backloaded, and then the release dates are so skewed, you can't even tell when something's coming out. So people have no choice but to see what jams the multiplexes, which are your Star Wars, your Justice Leagues, your big budget films, because the, the, you know, the multiplexes and the studios are convinced those are what's going to make money. And then the, to make matters worse with that, you've got moves like with the Golden Globe nominated Golden Globes nominating, you know, throwing all the money in the world out there, which is only screened for ninety four people. So that continues to grow that isolation between the film communities and people around the country. They're set up to fail. Yeah, I can tell you that come Christmas Day, I probably will have seen everything, so there will be no reason for me to go to the movies, which is unfortunate because. Uh, yeah, yeah. great. So moving on uh, to some brief TV news, we got a Jessica Jones season two trailer and a release date. Yay. It will be available on Netflix on March 8th. It only took three years. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm a big fan of the first season. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see season two. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm being serious. I'm mad that it took three mm-hmm. freaking years to get a season two when we've got... The second half of a second season of Fuller House coming next week? Like, what the... I'm so mad. Jessica Jones is awesome. They've already... They did Iron Fist and Luke Cage and that... Whatever the other one that put them all together was. (laughs) And a second season of Daredevil. And they've done a season of The Punisher and Greenlit, Greenlit a second one. All before they did a season two of Jessica Jones. Like, come on, guys. Come on. And Jessica Jones was by far next to, I mean, I'm a sucker for Daredevil, but Jessica Jones is by far, I would say, right up there with Daredevil in terms oh, of quality. They shouldn't, a second season of Iron Fist shouldn't even be met, or be, you no. know, even being made. That series no. was a piece of shit. Exactly. So in yeah. other news that I call Kristen has the ability to make Hollywood do things, because um, this seems to be <laughs> something that I'm really good at. Um, actually, no, a lot of people tweeted me and was like, you made this happen. No, I didn't. I just tweeted about it a lot, and apparently... No, if you made it happen, it would be live action. It would but be anyway. fucking live action. Okay, so, so if you follow Twitter, specifically my Twitter, or a lot of people's Twitters, actually, I, I, I'm not living in a vacuum. Yeah. We have all been saying for years that Oscar Isaac needs to play Gomez Adams if they ever redid The Adams Family because, I mean, just look at him. Okay, Sucker Punch is a horrible movie, but he essentially has the look. It's perfection. So we had all been talking about it, and it was announced uh, earlier this year that Conrad Vernon, who did um, Sausage Party, was going to make an animated uh, big screen movie version of The Adams Family. 
And of course, that just only ramped us up more, saying that there needed to be a way to get our beloved Oscar Isaac in this movie. And it was announced that he is in very early talks to be the voice of Gomez Adams. Now, we're not too happy about this. We're happy it exists. But yeah, we want live action. Like, we want to see him in the outfit with the look. There needs to be a dance scene. Like, sweet Jesus, this movie writes itself. <laughs> so, I mean, I know Sausage Party had a moment of live action in it. I barely remember that piece of shit. But um, I remember that they broke the fourth wall and they did, like, a Lego movie type thing where they they went into live action. So that's a possibility. Um, I mean, when I hear directed by the guy who did Sausage Party, I think, like, R-rated Adam's Family, which, again, holy shit, let's make that happen, too. I have ideas, <laughs> is what I'm saying. Um, I'm very excited for this this movie, even though it's not 100% what I want. But I... Y'all know I'm gonna be there, like, opening day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Any other thoughts, or has my fangirling been enough for, for that whole concept? <laughs> okay. I, I you, know, you you just get this one, I, I will take it. I'll take it. I was excited. Um, well, let's move on to, speaking of Oscar Isaac, uh, trailers. We got a new trailer for Annihilation that actually tells a bit about the plot. Still has a massive spoiler fucking spoiler in it so if you don't want to be spoiled don't watch the trailer but it but the thing is i don't know the story so i don't know exactly what most is, well yeah so if you read fine. the book me and me and terrence were laughing because we're like there's a massive fucking spoiler in that that trailer still but it gave us a bit of the plot yeah it gave us more of the cast um i still am very very leery about this because as much as i love oscar Isaac, he should not be in the fucking movie for very long because the plot line does not involve him and I do know about that. Yeah, part. and having read the having read the original script that Alex Garland wrote, there is a scene in that trailer that there's a line of dialogue where I was like, "Oh no, that's the tra- that's the script line I read. I hope they didn't use that plot point." <laughs> so I'm I'm still very skeptical, but I'm gonna go, even though it comes out Martin Luther King weekend and it's gonna go to Netflix 17 days later in other countries. I'm still, I'm still, it's still one of my most anticipated movies of the year. It was anticipated for me this year. Did the trailer entice anybody else? Yeah, I'm intrigued. I'm confused by, well, I mean, not confused because trailers tend to either make the movie look better or worse than it is. But um, I, I, I don't know. It looks interesting. I was really surprised by the disastrous screening that it had months ago because I'm like, oh, this looks like a fun movie, so I'll see In it. In Garland we trust. That's been my uh, it's been my motto. So I liked Ex Machina. I love so. Ex Machina. That movie is amazing. Um, yeah, I know every, I've had a couple of females be like, that movie's so misogyny. I'm aware of the criticisms. I know I willingly overlook them, I know. The, <laughs> the other trailer we got was the first trailer for Clint Eastwood's latest The 1517 to Paris. Um, this is the story of... Somebody want to explain the plot? Because I don't remember when this happened. I mean, I remember hearing about it, but I don't remember it. <laughs> yeah, it was um, summer of either 2015, 2016. These three American guys, two are um, soldiers, one is civilian. They were on a train going from Brussels to Paris, and this guy, who turned out to be a terrorist, had weapons... And he had gone into the, the restroom right there in their train car, and he came out ready to just start shooting up the train, and these guys jumped him and subdued him and were able to save the lives of who knows how many people on that train. So, so this is Clint Eastwood's latest post-Sully. His main claim to fame is that he got the actual 
real guys who stopped this attack to play themselves in this movie. So I watched the trailer for this, and it's, for me, Clint Eastwood's been on this kick, and I'm really not a fan of it, where he's making these, he's make it's essentially just like Lone Survivor or American Sniper all over again. These, I'm not saying ultra-conservative, but they are preaching more towards the right, and that's fine. I, my issue though is that if history is right, these guys just kind of stumbled on this. The trailer plays this up as like, these are SEAL Team 6 on a train, and they, they, they st- stop this, con- you know, conspiracy, this huge thing, which was untrue. This was just kind of like a divine providence thing that they, they were able to stop this. It wasn't like they had to like unify and go in like yeah this wasn't a special ops mission. right that's this the, was just that's something what that I was they just happened for. to be in the right place at the right, right time and i yeah. don't really care i don't really like the angle that this was like a premeditated like stopping this attack second of all right. when you're dealing with act people who aren't actors i'm very leery about this like i love clint eastwood's i like the gimmick it's a great gimmick um, and it should, might pay off if people remember this come awards time next year. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to make for a good movie because, you know, it's not like the, the studio era back in the day where you could be Esther Williams and start your career off as a swimmer and just be able to be a good actress simultaneously. <laughs> like, Well, and the chances that all three of them are good are very, very slim. Yeah. So I'm I'm very skeptical. I, this movie's not something I want to see to begin with, but I'm very skeptical that it's actually yeah. going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I got a real American Sniper vibe from the trailer. And, and, you know, and I went to see American Sniper because I was just like, I am intrigued as to what actually happened here. And it was a very, very effective piece of right-wing propaganda. And that's, that's really what... I, I miss Eastwood making movies Eastwood is a good director to make movies. No you know, I think, I think now a lot of his movies are, are about quite promoting his, his beliefs. And, and that's fine, but it doesn't really give him anything yeah. to show his flair as a director, I think. You know, because he just seems to be rehashing the same film. I, see, I this, didn't like the, Exactly. This trailer reminded me a lot of Sully, and I mean, looking at the plot of Sully, that I mean, was I just like what Sully. ten minutes of action yeah. for. They built an entire movie on that one instance, so you've got to find two more hours of plot, and that's what it seemed like this one's going to be. You've got a tremendous gamble that all of these gentlemen can act, and to me, it's the release date is very telling. If the, a film like this, if it had more award season potential they would have pushed it up earlier because it, it, i don't see them remembering that film come award season next year yeah the or 15 17 to paris comes out february 9th so you'll be able to see it in a month or so so let's move on briefly to some reviews we i, I want to get this one out of the way because we were supposed to mention it last week and we ran out of time and we want to devote time to the bigger movie this year uh three billboards outside ebbing missouri we've all seen it right <laughs> Yes. yes. So, um, I hated this movie. I hated this fucking movie. Um, I I liked Frances yeah. McDormand. I liked that plot line, the concept of this woman putting up billboards as a means of kind of like forcing the police department to figure out what the hell they're doing with her daughter's case. And I like Martin McDonough as a director. I like In Bruges. I like Seven Psychopaths. His, you know, take on cynicism and... Oh, I, I like that. 
I did not like this movie, mostly because I feel that it plays to Trump's America, um, for lack of a better word. The whole concept of you can be a racist, misogynistic, white male asshole, but as long as a white guy vouches for you, and as long as you can be of use to somebody, it's okay. I just, I really, and there, and there's been, there is a divisive love and hate for this movie. So I will say, this is not something that, like, it's just me. There's been articles written about this. I, I really hated this. But, Lauren, I know you, you like this, correct? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, here's the thing. So after I saw this film, I then did read a bunch of articles, particularly from people of color, uh, who made some very good points that I will completely admit that I did not particularly I it's not that I didn't notice them but I didn't pay as much attention to them maybe as I should have so I completely understand a number of the objections that are being raised about this film one of the things that seems to divide me from a lot of people who are very critical of it is that I don't think they that anyone is a hero here I don't think that the film treats anybody like they're getting let off the hook for something I think that there is a tendency to begin reading films like this like that but the way that McDonough directs it and the way that the actors perform it is everybody is terrible. Everybody is terrible in their own very specific, sometimes very confused ways. It's about the spiraling of revenge and of grief and of this attempt to enact vengeance against something that maybe you're never going to be able to get revenge for. And because of that, I think that the film actually plays very well. There is no doubt that Frances McDermott gives a brilliant performance. I loved her she's she's terrifying she's believable she's she's one of the most unlikable yet most sympathetic characters at the same time and i found that that balance was fascinating uh i felt kind of in in a certain sense the same way about woody harrelson on the one hand you feel really sorry for him on the other hand you feel that he's a bit of a dick and and then the the big issue with the sam rockwell character and his stupidity (laughs) his uh his racism (laughs) his sexism that then begins to kind of transform but also not really transform as the film goes on so i think that there's a lot of interesting stuff going on i i completely understand why so many people have rejected it and the you know the reasoning behind that at the same time i really i think that it's a much more nuanced film than it's giving that it's than it's being given credit for because i don't feel like anyone is let off the hook for their behavior or for their worldview. They are simply presented as incredibly flawed and very often completely wrong people who behave in truly horrific ways. That That is also very believable in terms of the culture that they live in and the experiences that they've gone through. So that's my opinion. Kimberly, Karen, what do you guys think? Well, I, um, I'm somewhere in between, actually. Kimberly? And I think that you, (laughs) this was, this was a hard one for me. I mean, I, and I will freely admit, I, I reviewed it well. Um, I think I saw it pretty early in the scheme of things and had a very packed, um, open screening of it. So it was lots of the audience I saw it with loved it. And I know I reviewed it really well. What jumped out to me especially was the performances. And I think I most of my review was a call out to that. Um, Frances McDormand was just, the, everything about that just blew my mind. Her performance was probably, I would say, one of the best I've seen this year. 
and she mm-hmm. she would she's definitely a front runner in my you know my Oscar race for that. Woody Harrelson, I thought that there was such interesting layers to that performance, and I even I. Sam Rockwell character, I thought he did so great with that character that he was given. I had to, I kind of went back and read after the fact to kind of looked at the more problematic, problematic aspects of it. And I'm kind of, kind of like Lauren with that. I totally, you know, it's like completely see that. And I, but I will freely admit it's watching it. The prop, it didn't jump out to me as much. I looked at it later in my review and it's hard. I found it very, a very complex, very complicated film. Uh, McDonough's tone, especially. So there's a lot there to unpack, and I actually need to see it again so I can keep unpacking it. My one biggest issue with it is like, why the hell was Sam Rockwell's character not arrested yeah, for what yeah. he did? And I don't want to go was into my spoilers. Issue, but is that he on. actually commits a crime? <laughs> And he in a violent, a violent crime, crime. And, and he's lucky it wasn't worse in front of a superior and nothing happens exactly and was that, that a was a critical was statement like, on the police force but uh, no considering that th- no i would because say no, the superior is hole. somebody that based on sam rockwell's character you would think would want this character to get his comeuppance and then Mm-hmm. Well, and he gets immediately fired, yeah, but not arrested. not arrested. It's like, that was just so ridiculous. There were tons of witnesses around. Like, and that was where it was like, oh. My initial reaction to the film, and I think it was mostly based on Frances McDormand's performance, was like, wow, I like this movie. I think this is really well done. And then as I started having more conversations about it and reading more about it, I started to, th- like, the things that I liked about it are you know, whatever, the things where I was positive on it, I started to think like, gosh, that doesn't really hold up. When it comes down to it, for me, the only good part about this movie is Frances McDormand's performance. And, I mean, I do give a lot of credit to Woody Harrelson, too, because I think that the two of them together have a couple of really great scenes. Sam Rockwell is good. He does a good job, but I just... I was so pissed at what happened with his character, and that it just it it lost it for me so i'm i'm really not sure where i ultimately sit on this film i don't think it's a bad film i think it's well constructed i think there are definitely good things about it but to me the things that are not good really uh, affect the overall i would say the best plot way to watch this movie is just watch the um part in seven psychopaths where they're telling the story about harry dean stanton trying to avenge his daughter's murder kind of like the best part of this movie <laughs> do we feel that mcdormand and rockwell are going to get in at oscar time they they seem to be the two and, and that this yes. will get picture nominations yes. i think they will get in for acting i am on the fence about if i think it will end up getting an oscar for or i mean a best picture See, i i feel like i think it'll play because i mean i don't know what the statistics are but i think that the the oscar turnout is still predominantly white men so I feel like it might slip in, especially yeah. if they want to go for 10. But where it seems to not be, I mean, it it's starting to miss in a lot of places. That's true. And so it's possible that it ends up getting edged out by other things. Well, let's segue over to the big movie that came out this weekend. It's a little film called Star Wars, Last Jedi. 
that was, was that this, this weekend? weekend? Yes. I don't know if you know this, but there's a... No. I saw it last I week. I saw it Monday, so, I so I, I'm actually going to take a friend to go see it uh, again later today. So... I, everybody knows I'm the worst Star Wars fan ever. If Oscar Isaac was not in these movies, I would have never seen any of them. And I liked this one, um, which probably tells you how bad of a Star Wars fan I am, because I think the bigger a fan you are, the more you hate this based on Twitter reaction. Not true. Good, not good, true. yay, I'm excited. Um, I, I thought this was a lot of fun. I thought it was beautifully filmed. The cinematography in this is very, very pretty. I, I liked the plot with um, Kelly Marie Tran. I thought she was the MVP. She was so sweet. I love how she's kind of like the, the fangirl, kind of just like in awe of everything. I, I thought her plot line with uh, John Boyega was a lot of fun. I don't care if you felt it didn't serve the purpose of the story. I had a lot of fun with it. My Oscar Isaac was adorable. The thirst level for him uh, in this movie was just like on like a 20 because between Carrie Fisher and Laura Dern, like, there was so much sexual tension you could cut it with a knife the ray stuff was interesting um i don't know do we want to go spoilers or no please don't um, no, okay so no. the ray stuff was questionably interesting um I, I i laughed a lot during some of that stuff that i think was unintentional but my only big caveat which i told everybody this was my big star wars complaint quote unquote and it's not really a complaint it's just my issue um is that if Lupita Nyong'o's character is going to stop a space battle to talk about how they need to go find this guy who does all kinds of right, and we all know what she means, and it ends up being fucking Justin Theroux. You do not waste him <laughs> in a cameo and then give me fucking Benicio Del Toro for the rest of the movie. That's bullshit. Thank you for nothing, Ryan Johnson. <sighs> Again, it's a complaint in my world. Um, it's not actually a detriment to the movie. I was just sitting there, like, looking at my friend, I'm like, is that fucking Justin Theroux? She's like, yes. I'm like, he's not in sweatpants, he's not running, and he's not doing anything awesome. I'm not happy right now. Um, so that was my complaint, but I liked it. I liked Star Wars. There's a potential that we could <sighs> if see this is him something again. that's gonna pan off, like, four years down the line in a movie, I'm just, no. I want it now, goddammit. I want the X-rated adventures of Maz Kanata and whoever the fuck he was playing. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I had a lot of fun. I don't know if I'm ever gonna be a Star Wars fan, but like, I keep going to these movies, so that's something. Um, who's a better fan who saw this? Um, what did you guys all think? Well, that's the thing. Like, I've literally been a Star Wars fan since the beginning. <laughs> because... okay, Karen is who you guys want, <laughs> not me. <laughs> well, I, I, I've told this story a couple of times with other podcasts this week. But um, basically, when I, when I was just like three or four months old when A New Hope came out, and I was six months old, my parents were going with some friends. They couldn't find a sitter, so they decided to take me with them. And they they waited till like the latest showing they could get into so that hopefully I would just sleep through the whole thing. I woke up right at the Battle of the Death Star, clapped and laughed right along with the rest of the audience, and I've been a fan ever since. Like when I was a kid, like that is a true Aww. story. I double checked it with my mom this week to see if I had the facts right. But when I was a kid, we would watch Star my my dad made us a bootleg VHS and my brother and I would watch Star Wars instead of Saturday morning cartoons like there's literally no way for me to calculate how many times I have seen Star Wars it is the reason that I love movies so much and 
So I went into this just like super pumped. I was really excited. I was a little bit nervous about what Ryan Johnson was going to do. And there are a couple of things that I didn't fully embrace. But overall, this movie is fucking awesome. I loved it. Start to finish. I, I, one of the things that I love is right in the very beginning, there's this moment, again, we're not going to go into spoilers, but there's a moment that has been like one of the, to me, one of the most anticipated moments since The Force Awakens ended two years ago. And right away, it gets literally just tossed. And it's like, that to me was just like, it doesn't matter what you've been expecting because we're taking this in a new direction. And then I was not disappointed. And I think that the reason there's such a backlash And I said this on Twitter yesterday, and I think the reason there's been such a backlash against this movie from these fanboys, I don't even call them real fans, they're fanboys. They're fanboys. Yeah, they're mad because all of their theories didn't pay off. They didn't get to be right about it, so now they're pissed, and they're vocal, and they're really annoying, and they just need to shut the fuck up. It's a good movie. Ray is awesome. Poe is awesome. Hell Finn yeah, is awesome. he is. Everybody oh, wait, in what? this is fantastic. <laughs> and oh my gosh, Adam Driver's Kylo Ren is so amazing. Yes. We're not even going to talk about the fact that he takes his shirt off and I was like, wait, I don't know how to feel. Um, <laughs> I was sitting there thinking, um, does this feel like the beginning of a bad porn? It's just like, oh, you caught me unawares. I was just standing here without my shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, I feel a little <laughs> bit weird right now. But um, but I, oh, he is so good. And it's like, he was, there's nobody that could have played Kylo Ren the way that Adam Driver does. And I just think he's fantastic. fantastic. So kudos to him. I co-sign with you on Kelly Marie Tran. She's a great addition to the franchise. Love her. I love this. Love it. Love it. Kimberly? Loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. Um, I'm kind of right there. I was a Star Wars fan growing up. I was remember watching, you know, the original original versions on you know VH, VHS tapes in the late '80s and early '90s, and was about ten when. And this this makes me, you know, a bad person in the eyes of those fanboys. I was about ten when Lucas, you know, re-released the, you know, his changes to the original trilogy in theaters, and have always been a fan. So I was definitely looking forward to this and right along with everybody else did not disappoint me it did not disappoint me in the slightest loved what ryan johnson did with the story everything there there was about three or four instances where i sat back and i'm like okay i i I get this i see where he's gonna take this and nope totally different direction i tried to i i I had it i had it pegged so many times and then he just completely you know didn't to, to me it didn't feel jarring felt smooth and it's but it was just that script to me was so good so well done adam driver i was i will freely admit being highly critical of him when they brought him in it's you know one of the uh, one of those people going man why are they bringing the guy from girls in here <laughs> and from i mean the first movie he impressed me and this one he amazed me just being one of he was definitely one of the standouts for me just all of the different you know so hard to review this without going into spoilers but all the different areas that they take that character through and he just hit it out of the park each time he's just is doing some stellar interesting work with that character and i'm really excited to see where they take it further carrie fisher was i was kind of and then there's i was you know that still that 
losing her still stings and but the combination of her and Laura Dern in this film just made made me so happy and smile on so many levels and both those women were just so kick-ass and so awesome and it was just Ryan Johnson just played that absolutely effortlessly with what he set up for those characters and then those two iconic women came in and just didn't disappoint there was I give it a completely positive review I don't see the bitching I don't get the bitching and but nothing is as vocal and can be as annoying as a bunch of angry Star Wars fanboys exactly and so if you are wanting to see it just ignore the ignore the you know negative talk and go see it you won't be disappointed I I will throw out what I I, my friend asked me what I ended up taking away from from the uh, movie and I'm pretty sure I simultaneously came up with the next movie Porgs, Poe, and Justin Thoreau. There you go. Uh, I feel like that's your next movie. Just make it happen, and I will go see it, and it will be fucking fantastic. Um, so yeah, love it. Just just helping Hollywood come up with more Star Wars movies. Yeah. So uh, let's get into our last section. Uh, some Citizen Dame awards. Um, getting out some of the the stray one and two votes that we had. Um, so let's start with uh, cinematography. Who wants to throw out their cinematography choices? One or two? Uh, I can. I'll start. I'll, I'll start it. Off. Okay. I'll, I'll start off learn. since I didn't have anything to say about the Last Jedi because I have not yet seen it. Uh, the the two that I have are Rachel Morrison Ooh, good from one. Unbound, mm-hmm. and and uh, Deacons. I hated the movie, but it was beautifully photographed. Deacons for Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Really. <laughs> uh, really. That cinematography is is so amazing. I agree with you. It, it is, it's gorgeous cinematography, it's in service of a dreadful fucking film, but it, it is beautiful. There's no doubt that it's beautiful. Absolutely. But I want to see Rachel Morrison. Yeah. I, I will throw out mine really briefly. Um, I said Thor Ragnarok. I thought mm. some of the shots in Thor Ragnarok are utterly beautiful. The the scene where he's being chased by the monster at the very beginning, I mean, that's, that's a, I love how it's colorful. Um, I just... Marvel and Disney are really hitting it out of the park with uh, the their DPs lately. And I had to throw out one for my girl, Sofia Coppola, The Beguiled. All of Sofia Coppola's films are very beautifully shot. And this one, I think, uh, they're using natural light. It's a lot of uh, Spanish moss. It, it just, it looks beautiful. If you haven't seen it, um, there are scenes I wish I could mount on my wall that are from that movie that are just so lovely to look at. Kimberly, Karen? Go for it, Kimberly. I had, I picked two. I'm actually with Lauren. I went with Blade Runner 2049. Hated, hated, hated the movie, but I it I enjoyed, you know, every visual second of it. And then I threw in Call Me By Your Name oh, as well. Yes. Just such, just a, all sun, sun-soaked, you know, relaxed Italian moment of it. I It was such a treat to watch. Yeah. The thing is, I agree with everything all of you guys have said, so I'm going to throw out two others that I also really appreciated. One is Dunkirk. I think the cinematography in that is is really special and and beautiful. And a latecomer to my list is um, Star Wars The Last Jedi. Ooh, okay. I think the cinematography in it is, is so glorious, and... I can't, there are three scenes in particular that I would love to pay special attention to, but I'm not going to because uh, they were 
they're big fat spoilers. Does it involve red <laughs> and black imagery? One of them does, yes. 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 <laughs> that was stunning. Oh my gosh. And one of them involves a ship, um, a very large ship. Do and, any of them involve uh, porgs? Yeah. That's the question. <laughs> well, I think the porgs were great, but not the three that I'm thinking of. So. Damn it. More porgs. But that's the thing. Like, I think the cinematography throughout this film is just, is, is beautiful, so. Uh, so let's move on to best score. I, I focused more on actual non-musical moments, so, like, The Greatest Showman is not on here, so. For score, I said Shape of Water, Alexandre Desplat's score for The Shape of Water. That would be my two. My number one, though, is Wonder Woman. No Man's Land, that, that score is just so pulse-pounding. Like, I will listen to that and just, like, go outside and be like a badass bitch it is it is a galvanizing um score that is just makes you want to go out and like kick the patriarchy's ass so yeah that's those are my two who else has uh scores best scores i agree with um just flaw with the shape of water i it's beautiful it's so beautiful and uh, my other one I've been talking about since I saw the film, and that's Max Richter's score for Hostiles. And I saw the film again this week, and I was just as mesmerized by the score. There's so much rich, like, with the bass and the cello. It's it's beautiful. So. Yeah, I, I agree with Shape of the Water. That was one of the... the Shape of Water. <laughs> I keep on saying it wrong. The, the other one that's just... And I guess it's not technically a score, it's a soundtrack, but Baby Drive. Yeah! It, it melded so perfectly with the film. I had my own issues with the film, but the, the way that the soundtrack was used and the way that it just worked and was integrated with everything was just so well done and, and Wright really deserves a lot of credit. I, I didn't put a best soundtrack. Maybe next year we'll add a best soundtrack, but we do have a, another musical category, so hopefully Baby Driver will get on there. Um, Kimberly? Yeah, I had Shape of Water as well as my number one, and I had, I had actually plugged in Greatest Showman in there, but you just really complicated. Oh, I mean, yeah, if you want to include Greatest Showman, no, feel free, because I would have put it on mine, too. It was my solid number two, but yeah, Shape of Water, definitely. So let's move on to Best Comedy Films. This wasn't a great, this was a, a questionable year for comedy for me, because I tended to like stuff that I would call more dramedy that's not outright comedy. So like stuff like Lady Bird um, or Get Out that I necessarily don't think are comedy but have funny moments in them. So this was hard. I would say I, Tonya, I think is um, probably skirting that line, but it's it's got so many funny lines, particularly Margot Robbie um, and, and Alice and Janney have some hilarious moments. And Ingrid Goes West. This is the, the Aubrey Plaza movie about her single white femaleing Elizabeth Olsen and it's just so funny and painfully so in terms of how real it is what you know when when we all assume like looking at somebody's social media means that we know who they are um so I found that to be just very poignantly hilarious um and and uncomfortable I haven't actually seen Ingrid Goes West yet I really want to so mine I would say the disaster artist is one. Oh, yep it was so funny and so well done it does have that emotional weight to it as well so it's not straight but I mean I'm sorry that's to me that's not a dramedy it's a comedy that has some some you know heartfelt moments and then the other one I don't think I laughed harder in a theater this year than I did when I was watching Thor Ragnarok 
That movie cracked me up from start to finish. I left the theater, just my cheeks were aching from just smiling and laughing so much. So, Thor Ragnarok almost made my list, but I didn't put it because I knew it would be on somebody else's. So, uh, Lauren? Uh, well, I just went for sort of straight comedies, I guess, because you can, I mean, if, if we're going to talk about dramedies, then you definitely The Disaster Artist and Lady Bird and all of those. Um, but the two that I have on my list are The Big Sick, which was just so it was a combination I, again maybe it is more like a dramedy but it was so funny and the the 9-11 joke just <laughs> destroyed me i i had never laughed so hard i had to pause the film and and maybe it's, and maybe just because i only recently saw it girls trip i loved girls trip i loved tiffany haddish i loved the relationship between the women and i, I like Again, it was one of those films where I was like, I'm laughing so hard and it's so wrong for so many reasons, but I love it. <laughs> Kimberly? I had to echo the Thor Ragnarok love. I had that as my number one, uh, just in terms of just how funny it was. I laughed the entire time as well. And then just thinking about the changes and how, to me, that kick-started what was by far the weakest franchise in the Mar- in the Marvelverse, it it was a solid just such a solid film and then throwing out my number two i had the big sick as well so moving on to horror film uh so horror was again a slighter category there wasn't a whole lot of horror that i ended up going to see but the two i picked i think are pretty pretty fun um i went with happy death day this one which i did not see happy death day is actually probably one of the um, we might see it again when we talk about underrated films of this year because I had a lot of fun with this movie. It does not take itself seriously. It's got some genuinely funny moments. You know, I, I it skirts. It's a horror film um, because it does involve you know death and murder, but it actually ends up just kind of lampooning a lot of the tropes that it's bringing up. Um, so I had a lot of fun with it. And uh, it it is the most terrifying movie. <laughs> here i'm still skeeved out by it um but yet i pre-ordered it the other day so i'll get it in january <laughs> yeah so those are my two best horror films of the year um well i'll go next i also have it i definitely agree that is that is my favorite horror film of the year it's fantastic they did such a great job with it and i i just i can't wait for part two uh and then my other one i'm putting in is get out because to me that's much more of a horror film than a comedy film and it's it's really well done i thought the last couple minutes or it it gets a little bit you know silly but it wasn't enough for me to say like oh this is a bad movie i think it's really well done altogether so kimberly um i'm actually echoing karen completely with it and get out and lauren uh, well, of course, of course, get out. But I am going because I love horror films, and I am going to give voice to two horror films that no one is going to mention: Alice Lowe's Prevenge. Ooh, I wanted to see mm. that. And The Black Coat's Daughter, directed by Osgood Perkins. Ooh, you and I are going to disagree because I hated that movie. Oh no, <laughs> no, such a good film. Yeah, Pre- Prevenge. Pre- now, Prevenge again is on that cusp of: is it a comedy? Is it a horror film? It's a horror film. And it is also a comedy. It is hilarious, and it is incredibly violent. And again, women, women directors and and writers are truly rescuing the horror genre. They're like doing something new and different and exciting. It's brilliant, mm-hmm. and, and I do love the Black Coat's Daughter partially because it's it takes place in the same area of New York that I come from. 
Uh, so watching it, I was just like, oh, that's, yeah, I know where that is. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. So that leaves us with our last category of the episode, Garbage Person of the Year. Because we started this podcast with dreams and aspirations of having something positive and awesome. And then we ended up having to spend the last 13 episodes talking in some form or another about assholes. So I think it's only fair that we honor some of these people by giving us something to talk about and make fun of. So uh, garbage person of the year. I will go with uh, my mind, which is Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey is a horrible human being, but what irks me the most about him is that he allowed me to be fooled. Uh, that I was able to buy into his fake ass persona and yeah, just broke my heart, but go he can go fuck himself. So who else has a, a Lauren garbage person of the year? I, I'm, I'm torn between two, but I'm gonna go with Dustin Hoffman. Not because he's the absolute worst. I think that we can probably agree who the absolute worst has been just in terms of volume. But he has really, really, really disappointed me. And I, so I think the same way with Kevin Spacey, that it was, this is someone that I thought, you know, he, he gave that great discussion about, you know, how he had changed when he did Tootsie and all of that stuff. And it always moved me. And then more and more stuff has come out about him. And, and he hasn't really owned up to any of it. He hasn't, he hasn't even tried to apologize. It's, it's just really depressing and, and very, very sad to me. So yeah, Dustin Hoffman. Kimberly? Uh, I, I went to the garbage person who really started it all, Harvey yeah. Weinstein. And just from sheer volume to just the egregious things to being the opening for this chain of community, you know, this communication and this wave that has started. And just the power that these revelations have had and what it has started in not only the film industry, but also you're seeing it in politics and various other places. But it really seems to have started from that. I would say he definitely would get the Garbage Person of the Year award. And Karen wanted me to leave her for last, so... Yeah, because I think that... I I mean, I completely agree with everyone that you've said, and there are a lot of other really awful people that we could talk about. But I'm actually going to disagree with Kimberly slightly that Harvey Weinstein started it all because I really believe that what we're seeing now is backlash from one Donald Trump. Oh. Uh, ooh. Yeah, yeah. Boo. <laughs> I think that, that him and what he did and what he bragged about and where he's at today launched people saying, you know what? I am fucking tired of staying quiet. And I think that, that, I mean, I don't want to give him any credit because it's really the people that came forward about him and whoever was brave enough to leak that Access Hollywood tape. But I think that what we're seeing now and the fact that Harvey Weinstein was outed, I think that's all in direct, direct response to Trump. So... As the Grandmaster said in Thor Ragnarok, in order to have a good rebellion, you have to have someone to rebel against. So you're welcome. There you yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> right. so, so people, do better next year, because we really don't want to have this category again. <laughs> or we might. Exactly. It might be even worse. Um, so that's going to close off this edition of Citizen Dame. As always, you can contact us through our respective Twitter feeds. Um, I am at journeys underscore film. Karen? Karen M. Peterson. Lauren? LH Business. And Kimberly? KPR 624. 
You can also follow us on Twitter under at uh, Citizen Dame Pod. That's our official Twitter feed uh, that we're trying to get some more followers on. So if you like the podcast and you want to stay in the know, you can follow us there. You can also download the podcast on Stitcher Radio uh, as well as citizendame.podbean.com or on iTunes. And if you are listening via iTunes, help the podcast out by at least leaving a rating. You don't necessarily have to leave a review unless you want to, but ratings definitely help us. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook at where, uh, Karen? Facebook.com slash Citizen Name. So uh, next time we will be doing, uh, this is actually the last regular episode of Citizen Dame for the year because next time we are going to be looking at some uh, top fives. We kind of got through some of the categories we knew we didn't have a lot of uh, stuff to say on, but we're going to be doing some top fives as well as our best and worst of the year over the next couple of episodes. So if you have uh, stuff you want to share, your best of the year, questions, comments, however, uh, please send them to us via Twitter and we will be sure to include them. So by the time we record next time, we'll actually be uh, over Christmas. So we... uh, the Citizen Dames wish everybody a uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, whatever you choose to celebrate or not. Uh, as always, I'm Kristen Lopez with Karen Peterson. Bye. Lauren Humphreys Books. Bye-bye. And Kimberly Pierce. Bye. Till next time. Poe is her protege, and in a way, I think she thinks of him as Han, and which is the good news and the bad news. Uh, he's very dominating, and and he doesn't listen to her, and she's trying to train him, and so we have some moments together.